Hey, Afronauts, I'm Chelsea Gaydon. I'm Monique Collins. And I'm Beatrice Eicher. And we're your hosts for this episode of The Hero's Journey, where we sit down with emerging Black writers in the speculative fiction space. Our hero today is Sheena Williams. Sheena is a YA science fiction writer and artist. She is a winner of the Major General Keith L. Ware Award for Commentary and 2020 Honorable Mention for the L. Ron Hubbard Writers for the Future Contest. Thanks for joining us today, Sheena. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Sheena, let's get started. So our first question is kind of a general one. So when did you start writing and why? Um, I started writing when... I guess I was in elementary school. And I think for, I mean, similar to other writers, it was a means of escape for me. Um, It was definitely kind of like my happy place that I would go to. Um, Because at least for me, there was a lot that I was going through and trying to process as a child um, that I didn't have anybody to talk about. So a lot of times I would just make, a lot of my stories in the beginning were really funny stories. And I think looking back on it now, as an adult with a child, I think I was just trying to cheer myself up. I think I was just um, in a place where I didn't feel safe. And so my stories became my safe spaces. Yeah, wow, that's really, really cool that you, created your own safe spaces mm-hmm. as a child you know uh, and like when you're a child you don't think of it like you're it's, it's not like intentional you just kind of like instinctively know that you need a space for yourself yeah and you don't know how to go about it at all mm-hmm. and I, I just recently found um one of my short stories it was just over here but um it's about toilet paper you know like it's about kids stuff you know, I didn't have, um, I was kind of untethered as a kid. I didn't have a lot of safety or people that I felt like I could turn to. But if I create these characters, you know, that are like me, that I can trust um, in those moments when I'm reading and writing, I can make my own safe space. Hmm. Did you write in a certain space or did you use a certain like notebook or anything? Like, I don't know, what kind of environment did you choose to write in? Um, I didn't really have much choice about like, yeah, I didn't really have a choice about where, um, I would, I would get these little journals, you know, that they would sell at the school bookstore and I would just fill them up. I would just like my toilet paper, um, story is just like this little journal I had bought at school. And, um, that's normally what I would write in. I would just get these blank journals. Uh, as far as the space, we, I, I grew up in a military family, so it's always constantly changing. And the newness of each space made everything seem foreign and everything seemed familiar on top of, you know, the traumatic things that were happening to me. So it just, just like the necessity that I felt like to make a safe space, it kind of put me in a position where I didn't have really uh, a choice about where. So how has that changed now? Like, compared to when you were younger, do you have a space where you choose to write now or is it kind of like wherever? 
Yeah. And I feel like maybe I take that for granted a little bit now that I'm thinking about it, because my process is so important to me and how I enter that space and how I prep myself for um, the space of writing. Uh, I normally write in like my office, my home office. And, you know, I got a little plan, you know, the AC (laughs) and my comfy chair and stuff. And um, I have this like very huge fluffy jacket that I wear when I'm writing and I put my hair up in a bun um and and there is a level of control that I can that I can exercise now in this creative process that I didn't have in the beginning but I also feel like as that evolved as I created my safe spaces around me the range of my writing was you know I was allowed I allowed myself to write about more than just funny stories so um yeah it's definitely shifted it's definitely you know I I I can be comfortable and I can feel free in my expression oh that's awesome it's like growth in the writing growth in self yes yeah that is great I love what you said about control like now you have more control over your environment so you're able to fix it exactly the way you want it so that's that's really powerful Yeah, Yeah, I think it's really, it's important, um, especially when I think about my son and, you know, he's creative in his own way and, you know, he's really into gaming and all the other stuff. And traditionally it's not something parents sign up for, you know, and like, are like, yeah, let's do this gaming thing and you're going to be the best, but he's really serious about it. So I try to be conscious, not only of my safe space, but his safe space in in his creative world. And he's got his own little um, gaming office um, with his little sign on the door. And, you know, I, I try to respect his space when he's um, doing his YouTube stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I feel like my journey as far as with writing has helped inform me, um, about respecting other people's creative space too. Wow. And that's on, uh, healing generational trauma. For real. (laughs) For real. real. I did, I did want to ask you, did you think that your background in psychology informed how you write your characters? I know that we're able to really shift our thinking from like when we're talking about about children like how we are when we're children versus how we are as an adult and how we are informed by our experiences I'm just like really interested do you think that you do that that informs how you write characters yes yeah I think I think honestly a lot of us do like when we when we think about our characters and we think about the worlds that we create um there's a level of psychology that that we definitely put into it, even if we don't know the theories, you know. Um, but because my background uh, is in psychology and I'm such a psych nerd, like uh, theories that really resonate with me uh, always get imbued into whatever I create. I just can't help it. Uh, and specifically uh, with the book that I just finished, The Outlier, there's a theory, um, a thought experiment called Heinz's Dilemma that I uh, worked into the book. It's, it's a um, thought experiment uh, made by uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, who created the um, moral stages of development. And uh, it really speaks to me because um, basically in Heinz's situation, his wife is, is deathly ill and um, he's very certain that she's gonna die soon. Um, 
to, you know, luckily for him, there's a research facility that's close by that has come up with the antidote uh, to his wife's illness. Uh, the only problem, the essence of his dilemma is that it is exorbitantly priced. It's super expensive. He can't afford it. And so um, he scrounges up all the money that he has and he goes to his family, he goes to his friends and he takes out loans and he goes to the research facility and talks to the pharmacist and basically explains, gives the whole spiel. His wife is sick, she's gonna die. And this is all he has. Um, can he pay in installments? And um, in, in the uh, thought experiment, the, the head researcher in the facility says, no, you can't. Uh, this drug, uh, we spent X amount of money on research and development, you have to pay full price to get the dose. And so um, I'm always curious when I, when I tell people about this um, Heinz's dilemma as to what their response will be because Kohlberg says that it, it's a part of your moral development at which stage mm. you're at. Um, and I'm curious, what, what would y'all do in Heinz's mm. situation? Oh no, <laughs> she knew what the question was. Oh, she's flipped the script, hold on now. The psychology. Wait a second, Wait a second. okay. Are we all stealing it together? <laughs> oh, oh, geez. So, oh, are, you, wow. are you asking for like a, a gut reaction to that? My, I mean, my gut a, reaction is like, whatever it takes. I mean, my husband, that's my boo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Your gut reaction. What would you do if you were in Heinz's situation? If, oh, gosh. I'm going to find a situation. Come hell or high water, I'm gonna find a way to pay for make this a way out of no way. I will make a way. I'll, I'll make. I don't care what I have to do. To be honest, if it's my husband, well, Monique ain't got a man, so she might. Be. Hold on, <laughs> hold there. Wait. You know my life. You don't know my personal life. Anyway, <laughs> I would either. I would either. I would have. A, I, I would have a, a a physical reaction. I would either fight or flee. That would be my response. I'm gonna fight. <laughs> the research like <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i would have a more like physical throw bottles in the oh, yeah. okay uh, i see it. i'm gonna steal it yeah i would i probably i would steal it throw wow. some hands and then steal you know what i would steal it I, if I, I could. you know what i respect that because i do too in the end i would too if if i couldn't do anything I mean, that, else that is a way i guess yeah i, I would yes yeah, true you're right you're right i would do that I don't know what's end. I don't have any other choice. Yeah, a, a lot of every, almost everybody that I ask, um, especially when I was teaching, I would I would ask my students that they they would always. I mean, we would just have a heist and we would all steal it. Like um, that's a thing. But but the great thing about Kohlberg's theory that that really resonates with me is that he says that it's not the what you will do, it's the why. So um, if you are concerned with the consequences or if you're concerned with the risks or um, what people think of you, the perceptions, you know, are they gonna say you're a thief? Are you gonna go to jail? Those are on the lower stages of moral development. So Kohlberg says that the highest stage that you can be at is one that, that speaks to a universal morality. Um, that is outside of the social structures and social contracts that we have with each other and with the systems of society. Um, and I feel like, you know, for me personally, it, it resonates with me because as a woman of color, I am acutely aware that I am disproportionately affected by everything, apparently. And yeah. 
there are so many processes and there are so many systems in place that are always constantly dictating what I do and how I do it. Um, so in my book, The Outlier, um, one of my main characters, Kaleo, she is in this situation um, where she lives in the future um, and everybody in her dystopian society is congratulating her because she's earned the status that can save um, her family. But that status is as an executioner. She will have to kill another family. She'd have to travel back through time and kill another family in order to save her own. So she has her own dilemma in the same way. Um, and I just love teasing. I love teasing it out in the book because I just feel like when we have those situations where what we feel like is right, there's this distance between that and what society has dictated is right. Um, that is our authenticity pushing through those social norms. Um, that is when we are more, most authentically us in those points. Um, and I just feel, I just love it. I just love that idea of um, speaking, you know, what's true to you in those situations. And as far as the sci-fi element in the book, I, I wanted to exacerbate Heinz's dilemma a little bit with Kaleo's mm -hmm. dilemma because, you know, in her society that she lives in in the future, she knows that she'll be reincarnated. So then, then is the question, what are the consequences? What are the risks that you're willing to take when you know that you'll have to live with them, not only in this lifetime, but in all of the lifetimes that will come? Oh. So yeah, definitely. Um, Man, you know, you I want to read this I'm, for real. <laughs> Where is the book? I wasn't okay. ready. <laughs> Where is it? Wow. You, hey Sheena, do you mind giving us kind of like a like a general overview of what your book is about? Like, yeah, yeah. I I actually got this question a lot over the holidays, and it was like, mm -hmm. what, you know, what is it my book about? It's about life. It's about the system. You know, um, but. Basically, uh, Kaleo um, is, like I said, she's um, coming from the future. She has to travel through time. And uh, my other main character, Jin, uh, he's a Korean-American kid, present day, um, kind of laissez-faire. He's just working this part-time job at this pizzeria, trying to save up for a car. Um, he's one of the people that she has to kill. And, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but like that, that, that in essence is what she's torn with is, you know, is she going to go with what she feels or is she going to constantly be in this tug of war with everybody else, her family, society, these structures of what she's being told to do. And um, I think in essence, this book, just like Kaleo, Kaleo is very much the young me, um, the one I was describing for when I was writing, um, she, she is starting off the book already undergoing a lot of stress and a lot of trauma. You know, Kaleo doesn't have time to look cute and be likable. You know, she doesn't even know she wants to save the world. Um, she's just trying to search for a place that's safe for her. And so um, it's, it was so interesting um, kind of as they ping pong through uh, time, trying to figure this thing out together, her and Jen, um, they're just so different. They just rep represent elements of myself. Um, but Kaleo specifically, I feel like she is definitely um, 
represents me. And, and she's kind of the reason why I wanted to make this a YA book because I needed characters like her where, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a young science fiction reader, um, very much a book nerd as a teenager, I would read like a wrinkle in time or something. And I loved, I loved going to those places and I loved, you know, being a nucleus, you know, a cell or whatever, wherever we're going in this book. Um, but the only thing it was, it was so difficult for me to connect with the characters because they have a nice family and they are going to do it together, you know, and they're going to persevere through this one obstacle and then everything's going to turn out great. That's the part that I, that I had so much difficulty as a teenager connecting with because that wasn't my reality, you know, and, and that's why I wanted to, to write this book because it has all the elements. There's, there's you know, um, robot cults and there's Ooh. like Super Saiyan powers and all kind of stuff thrown in there. <laughs> um, you say robot cults? Yes, yeah. Wait, are, are there cults? I wanted to confirm <laughs> robots. Are there cults like... There, worshiping robots there's, there's like overlapping of like religions based on supercomputers and then oh. there's a separate faction that is against them of a cult of robots oh wow yes. Ooh, yes. that's really cool i'm here for that yeah it's got all of that wrapped in with like this great coming of age story for kids that are in this space that I was in, where they want to connect with a character that um, you know feels the way that they felt. A lot of times when I was younger, uh, adults would tell me that I was wiser than my years, mm. you know. And I remember looking at them like, "Help me," you know. Help yeah, me. I mean, trauma does that. Like that exactly. to me is kind of like, how how can they not see? Right? Mm -hmm. It's really crazy. They, they think they're giving you a compliment, and yeah. They're like, they're seeing your, your trauma through a veil. They just, and they can't, you know. They're trying to turn a positive into something that was still very negative to me. And I was living through that negative environment. And um, yeah, I like Kaleo, like just was searching for a place. And I just want those teenagers to understand, like, here's a good story. You know, here's a great story that can help you kind of escape, but at the same time, validate that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. And it's okay to um, hate the people that have hurt you. And it's okay to forgive them because, you know, they make mistakes too, and they're human as well. Um, but, but overall, you know, I wanted there to be this sense of validity for those kids. So that's that's my book. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very powerful book, Sheena. Yes, it sounds yeah, very powerful. Know, I'm working um, on it. Religion and politics and uh -huh. home home life. Yeah. So much. So many things you can touch on in those. And I tried to get everything as much as I could. So mm -hmm. is this the book you're querying? Yes. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. How how is that for you? Like what is your what is your experience been, do you think? I feel like in general, querying um, is kind of like, you know, it's like literary purgatory. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> I just, I, I'm certain that it's one of the lower circles of hell in Dante's Inferno. Like, I'm certain of it. I absolutely cannot stand querying. And I think 
Um, for me, the things that I normally make now, like that I'm, I'm used to making is art. Like, and when it comes to my art, I don't worry about, I'm not trying to sell anything. I don't need to sell anything. I'm not worried about, you know, if it's um, palatable for mass consumption, you know, mm-hmm. it's just my expression. But now that I have this book, on the other hand, that I want to get out to as many teenagers and young adults and, and people as possible that had a same, similar experience to me, it just feels like I have to be baptized by the fire of querying. Like, Does it feel like there's a lot more <laughs> gatekeepers, perhaps, like to getting your stuff out there? I was... Yeah. I was, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to touch on that because I don't think a lot of people talk about that. And and all of the um, Black writers and marginalized writers that I mm-hmm. speak, um, we always go back to that. We always go back to the fact that, yes, I will get a rejection that tells me that they don't connect with the story or, mm-hmm. you know, the voices aren't strong enough or, you know, things like that. And I don't feel like I have the privilege of just taking it at face value. That, that critique. Um, querying for, for Black writers and marginalized writers is, is, you know, it's like double-sided tape. It's sticky on both sides. Like, I got to think not only of what you're telling me, but also the context that I cannot forget. You know, I will not forget. Yeah. Um, I think from my experience, and I'm new, like I totally understand I'm a noob, you know, I'm, I'm just querying. I'm, I'm not from around here. I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, the context that I take from just my professional life, uh, trying to go through a process with an establishment outside of publishing, but it's an establishment nonetheless that, that is trying to reckon with its past in a way, you know, there's a level of like, quote unquote, wokeness that's happening. Um, I understand the grind of trying to get to the gate, you know, trying to get to the gate, um, and then getting to the gate and they're like, well, you know, your past evaluation wasn't that great and you're not going to get promoted this time around, but maybe next time. I understand, I understand that. And I understand, uh, getting through the gate and not feeling comfortable, mm. not feeling comfortable when I'm on the other side, because nobody looks like me, um, not feeling comfortable because I'm here for the pictures, you know, I'm here for the semblance of inclusivity, but I'm not necessarily, my voice doesn't necessarily matter. Um, So, so just taking that in perspective, just in my personal life and my professional life, when I approach a process, and this is any process, when I approach a process with an establishment that's, that's saying that, you know, we pinky promise that you can come in we pinky promised that the the door that had a trap door no longer has a trap door anymore. Ooh. We that's what I'm saying. Girl. For real. <laughs> and then you're gonna trust and step up. Mm. Girl, you can put, yes. put all your weight on that. Step Try right in. First. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's 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 like, you know, I gotta walk by faith, I suppose. <laughs> you know, if we gotta, if we're gonna get all the way real with it, that's how I feel. It's like. Um, when I talk to other writers, other marginalized writers, other black writers, there is this wariness, this precarious sense that I'm at the gate, right? And I'm where we're all querying. And I'm being told, you know, hold on, just one second. You gotta do this or you gotta do that. Or maybe it's your voice or maybe it's the tone or maybe it's the pacing, right? I, I don't have the privilege of just taking it at face value because there's so many things that have happened to me in the past as a woman of color that I I will not forget. I can't mm-hmm. forget. 
So um, there is that layer within querying for us that, that ratchets up the difficulty. And I think what really encapsulated it for me was um, I, I don't talk about my book a lot. You know, not everybody's gonna understand, not everybody's gonna wanna hear about my book. Um, but my uncle was really, like he really wanted to understand the process. So um, I sent my uncle Dwayne my query letter. And the first thing he said was, do you want to mention that your main character is a black girl? Cause they won't publish it if they know that. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit with that. I had to sit with that with a little bit like for a while because I think this is why, you know, black writers are so good at uh, sci-fi and speculative fiction because we, we live in alternative realities oh. all of our lives. We live in alternative realities. And so- <laughs> Ooh, Sheena, you hitting us with the- and the right. <laughs> I'm just saying, if it's not giving what it's supposed to have gave, I guess. <laughs> you I right, say, you right, you right. But um, yeah, I had to, I had to um, marinate in it a little bit because that is his reality. I am one generation removed from race riots and from segregation um, and Jim Crow. Um, and, and he's not wrong. You know, he, he, his generation, that was the case. You can't be a black writer writing about a, a, a black character and expect to be published. And so um, when I responded to him, I wanted to be very careful with very truthful about my experience so far. Um, And the only thing that I could say with any certainty uh, to my uncle was, you know, there's there's like a hashtag, you know, he doesn't know about hashtags, but I'm like, there's a hashtag, Black Voices Matter and Own Voices Matter and BIPOC and POC, and it's doing a little bit better. And so I want to try to, push my book through while the gates are open, I think. And I don't know how much time is on the clock, but I'm going to try, was what I told him. And, and so that is, that is what it is to be me querying. <laughs> that is what I feel like it is to be um, any marginalized author querying right now. There is this sense that we understand the history um, we understand the history and we understand the, that the process was gatekept. And I feel like, you know, because I am so new, I'm not going to pretend like I understand the structure. I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what needs to change. But just from my experience, when an establishment says that they now want equity, then that means the process needs to change to me. Um, I, I have, when I talk about it, I've, I've tweeted about it a few times. Um, and I have been, you know, pointing in directions from different um, editors at publishing houses, you know, pointed to this resource or, you know, these mentorships and things like that, which is amazing, which is great. And I've thought about it. I, I would love to do a mentorship, mentorship, but that is adjacent from publishing to me. Um, you know, I, I would like a seat at the table without needing free and reduced lunch. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. God. <laughs> 
That's how oh, she. That hit me. I'm it. My God, my God. Ooh. Now you preaching. <laughs> so so yeah, I just I don't. I'm not. I'm not fully. I don't feel fully assured that um, publishing really takes that into account as far as this part of the process so far. So I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back to something that you said. You were talking about like whether or not, you know, the time was running out while the gates are open. I don't know. Do you think that this is like a permanent change that's going to continue as we go forward? Or is there any like concern about the future for marginalized authors for you personally? Yes. Yeah. I think if we just look at it logically, like outside of what it is, if you have a door that's been closed, um, for not only as long as you remembered, but as long as your uncle remembers and mm-hmm. his father before him and his father before him. And then it cracks open, right? There's never a guarantee in that type of situation. You just never know how long it's going to be open. And, and, you know, when I see the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and I see the resurgence of Stop Asian Hate and all of these other wonderful movements in the media, I can't help but think that uh, it's a fad. I, I can't, I logically, I just cannot, I can't help but think that that's what it's gonna be because for as long as I've known, you know, even being as a child and the books that I read and the books that were accessible to me, um, it never felt like I could be an author. I have been sitting on this idea for this book for a decade now i thought of it initially when i was uh, like 23 or 24 or something um and the reason why i held on to it for so long was because i was so um sure that there's there's no way there's no way anybody would publish it so um yeah i just feel like um for for writers of color there is this sense of this alternative reality when we query um that i don't know that publishing has fully accounted for. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And it definitely feels like the door is still just cracked, not like wide open. Like to me, I would feel like things have changed permanently when they can't go back. Mm. That's that's what's gonna symbol like permanent change for me. But right now it doesn't feel like this can't be taken away, you know? Cause it does seem like we're getting like, it's like a, a, a little stream of more marginalized writers but it's not like a flood. And I'm waiting for the flood. Yes. Yeah. There's a newness to it that I don't think that they, um, you know, I, I, I don't have the privilege to disregard the newness of it because it's mm-hmm. been my life. So it's like maybe to publishing, they're like, well, we're doing the right thing now by these authors. Right. But um, this now, uh, in my eyes, you know, from my experience, maybe fleeting. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And a lot of the games are very specific to MG and YA. Mm. You don't really see as much movement in the adult mm. category, for example. So yeah, that's that is point. true. I feel like you're right with with adult speculative, adult science fiction, fantasy, horror. I feel like there's such a there are the upper echelon mm-hmm. of people that we all know. We've all heard of them because they're brilliant, rightfully mm. so but it's just them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it kind of feels like 
Well, we well we've got our our black woman. Yeah, yeah. Like we we have see, them like, already. We, we've got the black woman science fiction writer. She's brilliant. We don't need any any more. Like that's it. And so oh, man, we need yeah. so much more. We need so much more everything everywhere in every category. Everywhere, yeah. <sighs> Exactly. And I don't want to like get my book published and then just be taking the spot of somebody else or just be a placeholder for one other. You know what I'm saying? Like, I definitely feel like there there needs to be a floodgate that that would help me feel more um, more validated and, and, you know, recognized as a marginalized writer. And, you know, outside of publishing, I just feel like when I'm going through the process of querying and the majority of the agents are white, that also means that I, I feel like there's not, um, the change hasn't happened, you know, in a ubiquitous fashion, because mm -hmm. maybe I wouldn't feel that way. Maybe I wouldn't have to go back and forth about um, how how the connection is, uh, if, if there were more uh, agents that look like me. Yeah, because then you're, it's, it's not that question in the back of your head, like, mm -hmm. is it my writing or is it, you know, like, is it yeah. me or is it them, actually? Yes. Yeah. All right. That reminds me of you want, you want minorities in front of the camera and behind the camera and, you know, in internships and in leadership because yeah. all these parts work together to create the product. So if you've got minorities writing a few, writing a few books, but not many minority editors, not many minority agents, not many minority marketing, you know, it's just kind of like, it spirals until it's like, well, I'm like a pepper, like a thickening a pepper in this milk. And you told me to be, be comfortable and put my feet up and don't worry, but. But I'm too spicy uh, for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> But can you handle it? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, Sheena, you mentioned um, reading books as a kid and really not feeling represented in them. Uh, but then or now, are there any writers that you look up to or looked up to as a kid? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you said as a kid, too, because it's definitely like um, both of those authors. Um, they kind of resonate with me now and then also as a child, but Octavia Butler is the goat. Like, I don't even know how to describe the force of Octavia Butler. Like Octavia Butler is the Octavia Butler of Octavia Butler. She's <laughs> uncomparable, you know, and, and especially reading her books and really falling in love with her books. Uh, I wanted to learn more about her. And the more that I learn about her, she is her book. She is her characters. Um, she's uh, She was a nonconformist, a, a Black woman in the 60s, writing science fiction. Man, like, like she is the GOAT. She, she is just a force in and of herself. And um, the thing that's, that is bittersweet about learning about her now is that she was not accessible to me as a kid right. um, and, and we talk about banning books books now you know you, you have to wonder what demographic of kids are we um not relating to by by or not allowing them to find that safe space because we're uh, taking away from them but yeah I, I wish that I had I needed 
I needed parable of the sower when I was 13. Like I know I did. And, and some would say, you know, there's been this debate online about uh, the YA rating system. Some would say that it, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot in that book um, for that young girl to go through that trauma. But it was very relatable to me as a kid. I, I would have definitely uh, connected with her characters then. Um, so, so that's definitely, I mean, she, she is, she is a force. Um, she is the greatest of all time. And, and her voice is so strong. Like I was reading, I was in the middle of Parable of the Soul when I was writing the outlier and I had to stop. Like I could not, I could not read that and write at the same time Mm -hmm. because her voice was so strong. Like I was afraid that it would, it was starting to intermingle with my voice because <laughs> the phenomenon of Octavia strong. is living through me, you know? So uh, yeah, I had to, um, I had to take a break from, from reading her book because, because of that. But um, there's her and another author that really resonated with me. Her work really resonated with me when I was a kid was uh, Nancy Farmer's The Ear, The Eye, and The Arm. Um, that book changed how I felt about just sci-fi in general and my relation to sci-fi. It was the very first Afrofuturistic book um, that I ever read. Uh, you know, it's set in future Zimbabwe with like these mutant detectives and they're trying to solve this child trafficking Ooh. case. Yeah, it's so good and, and, and it's so engrossing. Uh, and they have these uh, mutant abilities and there's all this adventure. Um, and she's an amazing author. And I actually uh, read another book of hers that had a strong Black female lead um, that I really enjoyed. Um, and, and it was pivotal for me at that time in my life because, you know, in the 90s, science fiction in the 90s for me was kind of like a one-way window. Like I can see it and I can enjoy it and I can love it and and just loves the expeditions that everybody's going on. But at the same time, science fiction didn't see me. And so the ear, the eye and arm kind of like helped to introduce that idea that I can set the star date. You know, I can go on these expeditions myself. But the interesting thing about the ear, the eye, and the arm, uh, Nancy Farmer's white. Uh, she's a white author. And um, like I said, she wrote another book with a, a very strong black female lead. And I remember I read the ear, the eye, and the arm three times. It was just that good. And it's the only book that I read more than once uh, as a teenager. Um, but I remember falling in love with the book and just like with Octavia Butler, learning, trying to learn more about the author. And there was a sense, and it's so hard to describe, because she's a wonderful author and I love her work. Um, When I found out that she was white, there was a sense that I had been literarily catfished. It was, um, yeah, and it's not just her book. Memoirs of the Geisha did the same thing. Oh, oh yes. Yes. After I found out that- That's what I was thinking. After I read that book and I found out who wrote that, I was like, what? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There was this sense, and especially being a young reader and writer, that a very talented, nice lady came into my room, read my diary, read all the fantasies and dreams that I had, and she left in a nice car and went to a nice house and wrote a book about me. That's how it felt. And got paid for it. (laughs) 
that's how it felt. And, and when I think back on that time being a teenager and, and recognizing it, um, and how I relate to Octavia, but I'm in between these two titans of literature that I really admire. And I think about, you know, where I am in retrospect between the two of them as a woman of color that's written a book that wants it to be published. I still cannot forget, like we're talking about the context, I still cannot forget the fact that when I heard and I saw that she was a white writer, I immediately thought to myself, what's the point? What's, what is the point of me writing my story in my own voice when somebody else can do it for me? It, it, was, it was devastating in a way where, you know, I just felt like, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was difficult. It was just hard, uh, especially being a young writer, just starting out um, to understand that. And so I think that's why it's so important to have books like Octavia Butler's books, you know, out there for, for young people to read uh, and see that they can, you know, and all the other writers that are coming out that, that are women of color and people of color, marginalized authors, it's so important that their books get out there to as many kids as possible, because I don't want any other, I don't want any other kids to feel the way that I felt. So um, now yeah. that you kind of have that perspective um, as a reader and now as a writer and as a mom, um, if you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? I would uh, tell my younger self that don't forget, don't forget, don't forget yourself. Don't forget yourself um, in the process uh, because there are so many things uh, from then to now, so many things that will catch you up. You know, you get caught up in everybody else's system and everybody else's process um, and everybody else's idea of what your voice should sound like. Um, that, you know, if you forget yourself, then you forget the vision, you forget the book, you forget the story, and then there's nothing to write. So um, I think that that is the the most important thing that I, I probably needed to keep in mind, not only in writing, just in general, just in general life, um, just to remember myself and to remember um, that my voice is, is important. Mm. Yes, Another that is so true. powerful statement. For real. Me and you even preaching to us today. Right. That, that's a big one. Like the whole like authenticity, being true to who you are, like not letting yourself, because I know we've had conversations um, on the podcast about like um, trying not to have like the white man on your shoulder while you're writing, like writing with your own authentic voice. Like, yeah. is this how, you know, you talk when you're with your family? Like if you're writing a scene with family, are they talking the way like you know your family would talk engaging with each other it's not like filtered through that like white lens so yeah yeah that's, that's what I wonder point. like when I'm when I'm querying like when they say when they talk about my voice it's like when you're saying you don't you don't connect with the voice is it or the story is it because my story has a little bit like a slavery in there or is like my character's are they not black black enough are they too black are they blackly black like oh gosh so, yeah you know, are they not code switching enough, you know, for the, um, I don't know, mass marketing for this book? I don't know. But um, yeah, I think that's the thing is like, as a creative, 
just in general to keep in mind that if it's not your voice, then what is it? What really is it? Is it a part? Is it is it just you manufacturing a product? Yeah. Um, that, that's the thing that I, I just want to keep in mind. And, and even now I have to tell myself through this process, this publishing process. Yeah, I got to toe the line between like authenticity and performing. Mm-hmm. Well, Sheena, this has been such a great conversation. I, I have loved talking to you like this. Yes, I feel like wow. I, I, I've healed a little bit, like just in this combo. Yes. I feel seen like this is mm-hmm. so great. Yeah. Like a little therapy session in there too. Yes, oh, thank you so much. Astronauts for the soul. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> thank you all so much for having me. So where can our listeners find you, Sheena? You got um, a website, you got social media. Yes, yeah. I'm on Twitter at she underscore will underscore thrive. And I have a website that's shewillart.com. Thank you so oh, much, Sheena. It was yes. awesome. <laughs> Stay tuned for more heroes. You can find us on social media at Afronauts Pod. See you next time.